Well, good morning. We are continuing our short sermon series on the Psalms today. If you're with us last week, I said that the Psalms are 150 poems and prayers and songs that were used by the people of God to worship their God. It was their hymn book. The Psalms are a wonderful gift given to us by God, and they can really teach us the language and the grammar of what we need to have a relationship with God. As we sing and as we pray these psalms, we can learn how to speak and sing as God's people together. Psalms are beautiful, and folks inside and outside the church often enjoy psalms. Certain psalms or phrases from psalms find their way into society. Greeting cards, inspirational posters, cheesy mugs, and bookmarks are full of lines from some of the songs. And I think one of the more well-known lines from a song that are on these mugs and bookmarks and posters is from this psalm we're going to look at today. Be still and know that I am God. I decided to Google that phrase this week, and not surprisingly, there are a ton of products I can buy with that song on it. And look, it is a great verse. It is an important concept that we're going to take time this morning to discuss. But the problem is whenever we take any verse and just take it out of context, we might miss the significance of why it was said when it was said. When we take a verse or a section out of one of the songs, we miss the whole song sometimes and the focus of it. You know, Psalm 46 is not about being quiet. It's about being confident. And when the psalmist wrote these words, there was turmoil happening in his life. There was a threat of destruction in the horizon. A little bit I'm going to read about the nations raging and the world being in turmoil. We don't know the specifics at hand, but we know that things are not great for the author of this psalm. And yet as we hear these words, listen to the amazing boldness and confidence in the midst of dark times. Psalm 46, I'm going to read it for us. You could follow along in your Bible or order of worship or just listen as I read. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is God's word. It's given to us for our good. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, we thank you for this time we have to gather together. For those of us who believe today, for those of us who don't believe, for those that are excited to be here, for those that are struggling and really don't want to be here, for those of us who are feeling hopeful and those of us who are feeling discouraged, wherever we are and whoever we are, 
I ask boldly for your spirit to come and meet us now and to point us to you and to who we are as those created in your image. In your name, amen. So my oldest son, Ben, as we were growing up, was afraid of a ton of things. And one of the things that he was most afraid of, I think, was mascots and people dressed up as characters. I remember the first time we took him to Chuck E. Cheese, he freaked out when he saw this big mouse walking around the restaurant. I don't blame him, that mouse was kind of creepy. But he hated these kind of mascots and characters. One time we were in Atlanta, we lived there, and we went to a baseball game. And when we walked through the gates of the stadium, there were a bunch of characters dressed up from the Cartoon Network. And Ben went crazy. I mean, there's probably four or five of them standing there, and he was petrified. And he comes to me, he was about four years old at the time, and grabs hold of me, and I'm holding him, and he's crying, and he's shaking, and he won't stop. And I'm like, Ben, we will not go near those characters, I promise. And he just kept shaking, he would not stop. I said, Ben, I promise, they're over there, you are safe, your dad's got you. That did not help. Ben still continued to cry and to shake, and I could not calm him down. And being the great dad that I am, I got really frustrated. And I was just like, Ben, I promise you they will not get you. Relax. It was at this point that I turned and looked behind me, and one of the characters was right behind us, waving at Ben, trying to get him to smile. It was no wonder he was afraid. I mean, a life-size powder puff girl was standing behind him, and I didn't even notice it. Now, why am I telling you about my son and his fears as a kid? Well, first of all, being afraid is not just something that happens when we're kids. Fear is a reality for many of us in this room right now. The fear of the kids, the fear that we have as kids, the dark, monsters, mascots. Well, we might not have those fears anymore, but we struggle with being afraid. We try to keep our fears in the background. But how often do we find ourselves awake at 2 a.m. with the what-ifs of life? What if the doctor report comes back and it's not good news? What if I lose my job or I have to stay in this job I hate? What if I'm going to end up being alone my whole life? What if my kid rebels or something bad happens to them? And even if we're not fearful right now, all of us are one phone call away, one accident, one tragedy that would make our world fall apart. We live in a hard world. We live in a world where it is hard to say, like the psalmist says in verse 2, we will not fear. We will not be afraid. So fear is a reality in our lives, and that's why I told the story about my son. But I also told the story because here's the thing. I really thought I was able to keep him safe. I really thought I was helping his fear. I thought he could hold on to me and not be afraid. And I was wrong. Well, how often do we hold on to things that we think can give us security and help us with our fear, only to be let down again? The psalmist is clear in our song, Where Our Hope Must Lie. The psalmist is clear of how we can get help to not be so afraid. Verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. God is our refuge, a shelter for protection. God is the one that secures us by defending us from the storms of life. And here's the wonderful truth. God doesn't just provide us a refuge. 
God is that refuge. It is in God that we find shelter. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't experience bad news or face suffering and struggles. You know firsthand, many of you, what it's like to live in a broken, hurting world right now. But God does promise us that in our struggles, in our pain, he will give him a self, he will give himself to us to shelter us. Because none of us can face the struggles on our own. None of us have the strength to deal with living in this world that we live in. But God is our strength. He is our very present help in trouble, it says. God will do for people what we cannot do for ourselves. God promises to be ever-present in whatever situation we are in. God is actually enough for us as we face hardships. But this is hard to believe at times. Some of you right now are barely holding on. You feel completely hopeless and not secure at all in the situation you are in. Some of you hate a verse like this because it just doesn't seem true at all. Maybe right now your life is full of chaos and darkness. Maybe your world is falling apart and you feel helpless. The psalmist picks up the idea of chaos in the next two verses we can see. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, poetically, the psalmist is describing God's good creation crumbling. Chaos is attempting to reassert its primacy over order. Now, the psalmist could be describing natural disasters here, a trusting God in the midst of earthquakes and floods. This might be happening to the psalmist as he's writing this, but I think we can also take this metaphorically when it comes to chaos. Here in the Midwest, we might never see mountains tumbling and falling down, but in our lives, there are things that look stable and secure, that look like will never go away, that crumble right before us. The mountain in your life might be that job or that career you thought was secure being gone. The earth giving away might be that relationship you had for support and security that suddenly dissolves and you don't know why. The mountain or the security you thought you had might be your family that brought you such joy and security and now just brings you pain and sadness. Maybe you're feeling let down right now because your skills and your knowledge and your ability to get through the hard times isn't working right now for whatever reason. God and God alone is our refuge. And yet often we live like it is God plus other things that are our refuge. So many times we turn to other things to get the security we think we need. And you know, sometimes those things work for a bit. But I'm sure all of us know what it's like to be let down by someone or something that we've turned to for hope. The great reformer Martin Luther felt this way in his life often. He writes that while he was struggling with the Reformation, he would sometimes just have to sing this song with his friend. Psalm 46 was his favorite psalm. And he would sing it sometimes because that's all he could cling to in the hardships he was going through. His most famous hymn is probably A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and it is based on Psalm 46. One of the lines of that old hymn goes like this. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. 
Everything might go in our lives, but even if that's the case, God is still our refuge. But this is hard to believe. It's hard to see when it looks like nothing is working. But the truth is our only hope we can truly have is found in God alone to supply what we need. I love the image of this in the next few verses. Verses 4 and 5, he describes, There is a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The psalmist is describing the city of Zion. He's describing the city of Jerusalem, and he imagines a great city with a river running through the middle of it, a river to supply food and water. Many think the psalmist is describing here the importance of a river for resources when the city is under siege by enemies. The next verse talks about the nations raging against God's people. And if a city had access to a river within its walls, when morning came, and that's when usually the attack happened, they would be safe. They would be secure, at least for a time, because of what the river could provide. And even more than the river providing safety is the beautiful truth mentioned more than once in this section, that God is present, that God is there with them. But back to the river image, in the Bible, water is often used as a symbol of God's Spirit. In fact, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to remind us that God is present. When Jesus was on this earth and he told his disciples he was going to leave to go back to his Father's kingdom, he said, I will not leave you as orphans. But in John 14, he said, the Spirit will come to comfort you and to remind you that God is present. The Spirit does that today. More than the hope of a city is the hope of God's presence. And this is a good thing because what happened to Jerusalem? It got destroyed. The very thing that they held on to for their security was gone and it crushed the people of God. There are some psalms later on in the book that describe the angst and the pain of their city being destroyed. Because now the thing they put their hope in was gone. The point of God being in the city was not the actual city. The point was the promise of God being present where his people were. But these people felt secure. They felt cocky almost, as long as they had a temple or a big city to to rest in. And they missed the point of God's promise to them. I was thinking about how do we apply this to our lives, because most of us probably do not have a building or a city that we hold on to to get us our confidence and our security. But I don't think we're any different than the people back then of sometimes placing our hope in the wrong things. How often do we take good things that God gives us and we treat them as if they are the things we must hold on to completely? We might not hope in Jerusalem as our great city, but we place our hope in our theological understanding, our hope in our morals and our behavior. And we think as long as we do these things well, God will be present and in our lives. Knowing our Bible, having good theology, having good beliefs, living moral lives, are hopefully things we as a community strive for. These are things that can and should point us to our God. But how often do these things become what we cling to for our security? For me, it's often good works. I feel if I work hard enough, God will like me, 
God will bless me. God will be present with me. For some, it's theological positions that we hold to, either on the left or on the right. And these positions we hold on to so tightly, we sometimes miss God in the debates and in the arguments and in the defending our truths. And not only do we miss the God who we are to love, but in our passion to be right, we miss loving people created in God's image that disagree with us. What things in your life right now are you pointing more to yourself than to God? What things in your life right now are you holding on to? Even good things that maybe are missing the point because it's more focusing on you than on God himself. One of the things I've seen in regards to this with churches I've served, including here at Covenant, is how we view community together. Community is a big deal. It's something we value very much in this church. It is something we are going to desire for us to be building in each other's lives as long as this church exists. You need to know that we desire you as a family to come alongside and to serve and to love and to build community together. That's why we do things like have cookouts in the summer, not just to eat together, but to build relationships together. That's why throughout the year we have dinners in various homes in hoping that you will get to know one another and be in each other's lives. It is why we are thankful that over 170 of you right now are in a small group. I'd love to double that number if we could. Community is important, but I have noticed that sometimes we get the wrong focus when we think about community. Like the city in this psalm being the wrong focus for the people of God back then, sometimes community that we desire, that we long for, and we miss the point of what it's all about. The late pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it this way, Those who love their dreams of Christian community more than they love Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions are honest, earnest, and sacrificial. Those who love the dream of Christian community more than actual community become destroyers of that community. I think this is true. Because, listen, the dream that we all have of community doesn't line up with the messiness of reality. And what happens when these good intentions, these things we long for in community, and we don't get them met, we flee. We stop pursuing. We close up. Some of us, we have these communities here at this church and in our lives that are good, but they're just with like-minded people just like us. And we only want to be with people that that can agree with us. Some of us have wonderful relationships that are building each other up, and it's awesome. But sometimes those relationships become so inward-focused, we don't see anyone around us. And we fight more for that protection of that group than for God's kingdom and church. What I love is that community is a place where we can meet God and meet others and help each other Live out this psalm to be in each other's lives to say, I'm not your refuge, you're not my refuge, but together we turn to God for our refuge and strength. Being a part of community is essential for your faith. And I would encourage you, if you're not a part of any community at all, consider this year joining 
Consider opening up your home even just a few times a year to bring people in and spend time with them. Consider being willing to be honest with your struggles and your doubts and your fears to another person and allow them to be there with you. Consider becoming a small group leader so that the new people that come into our church have a place to gather and meet others who are walking in the same journey of faith together. As we do community together, we get to believe and sing about that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. All right, getting back to this psalm, we've looked at the power of God to be, for his people, a refuge. We've looked at the promise of God that he will be present with his people. And as the song is winding down, we get two commands for us. Two commands I want to briefly look at, and then we'll be done. The first command is found in verse 8. After all that God has done, after all that God has promised, the command that we are given is to come and behold the works of the Lord. We are commanded to come and see God's work, to look intently at our God, what he is doing and what he has done in the past and what he promises to do in the future. Listen, evil, corruption, chaos in this world will not win in the end. It feels like it's winning right now. It feels like evil and sin and brokenness is winning. But God is more powerful than sin, than brokenness, than the devil. We must believe and see this. We must believe and look earnestly at God and who he is, even in the midst of story after story of brokenness, just in our city alone. God was working in the psalm, and God continues to work today. The desolation and the silencing of the raging nations in this psalm by the voice of God is picked up by the Apostle Peter in the New Testament reading that we heard that Jenna read for us earlier. God promises to make all things right, to refine this world with fire. This broken world is going to be renewed and restored, and God is not slow in keeping his promises. It sure feels like he's slow. But the scriptures say God is not slow. He can and he will do what he promises to do. So we can boldly believe that God will make wars cease one day. That the violence we read about every day in our city will one day be gone. We can believe that God will break the bow and shatter the spear and crush the chariots. We must see this as a truth and hold on to it. We must be confident that even though it looks like everything is falling apart, God is still in control. That despite how we feel and what we experience, evil will not win in the end. And the more we believe this to be true, the more we look earnestly at who God is and what he does for his people, the more we can boldly stand with him for justice, for reconciliation, for love, that we can care for those that God cares for because that's God's desire. And that's who the God is we worship. One of the best ways for you to behold God is what we're doing right now together. It is good for us to gather together as God's people and hear about God through the sermon and the readings of Scripture, to sing about God in our worship, to confess that we are not God in our confession time, to be the body of Christ together. It is good 
for you to be here. Every church, including this one, is screwed up and messed up. But God still allows us as broken, messed up people to gather together and behold him. So keep coming. Keep making worship a priority in your life. Join us as we behold God together. So that's our first command. And the second command is from this probably most well-known verse in the psalm. We are commanded to be still and know that God is God. Now this is not a command to just sit quietly and be comforted by God. This is not a command to just go on the beach and be still and let God minister to you. It's actually a rebuke to a restless, turbulent world. In some sense, what he is saying here is, shut up. You are not God. We are being told here to stop acting like we are God, that we need to cease and desist like it's all about us to get things done. The self-sufficiency that many of us live with, the pull up your bootstraps and work really hard to make sure your faith is strong, is tiring and it's not working. And we need to be still and know that we are not God. Often our frantic activities, especially good activities we do for God, become a way that blinds us and deafens us to not hear and see all that God is doing in our lives. Now, of course, the application to slow down, to take time off work, to turn off your phones just every once in a while, to stop just listening and watching TV all the time, to try to live an unhurried life, of course, that's an application that I need to hear. That's an application you need to hear. Being still and allowing for God to speak in our lives is very, very hard to do. We live in a frantic world full of chaos, and it is good to slow down every once in a while. But just as important, I think, to this is also to stop striving for things that only God can provide. To stop trying to act like God in your life, in your kids' lives, in the lives of people around you. To stop thinking you are the refuge and strength people need, but realize you need God as a refuge and strength. May we be still and know God and God alone is who we worship, it's who we turn to, it's our only hope we have for lives and faith in him. Let us pray. God, we do thank you that you love us and that you are our refuge and strength and that you are present. May we see that as we continue our worship and then as we go from here to be your servants in the world you have created. In your name, amen.